All right, I'm going to have the opportunity. I'm going to be introducing you to today's speaker from Creation Ministries International. His name is Clarence Jansen. I've had the pleasure of knowing Clarence for at least six, seven years now, I think. He's got it down for seven. Yep, eight. All right. Um, a couple of weeks ago, if you may have known, I wasn't here preaching. Dave was preaching. I was actually at Clarence's church preaching in Abbotsford. He's at Prairie Bible Church. No, just Prairie Bible. Prairie Chapel. Prairie Chapel. There's always outliers out in the Abbotsford area, isn't there? Anyway, um, had the pleasure of preaching there, which I've done many times. Our youth groups got together, and that was their pastor who was leading that youth retreat for them. So we're very well connected to that church. They have uh, their pastors, Mike Chalmers, who uh, will be doing a pulpit swap, getting him up here at some point, so you can get to know him as well. And uh, we're just praying for God's continued kindness as he grows a fellowship of like-minded churches as we come together to encourage one another. And it's especially important for us as pastors as well to be connected. So as you guys all know, just enjoying that fellowship with David Corrente and, and Glenn here, but there's also some guys outside of Squamish that we like too. So um, <laughs> Clarence, come on up. And um, I'll just hand it over to you. How's that? Sounds good. All right. Let me just pray for you quickly. Please. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, just as we get into this issue, which is so great and glorious, it is the study of your Creator, O oh Father. I pray that you would be with Clarence's voice as he just takes his time to um, reflect these marvels that he's learned towards us. It's kind of funny. We live in a world where this is contentious issues. And this is the ways of Satan, O oh Father, to take away from the glory that is supposed to be accorded the Creator and gives it to the creation. I just pray that this would be a time of uh, worship for us as we learn these great truths. And um, may it cause us pause to think even how we are thinking and processing the events of today. We ask these things in your most holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, brother. Wow, it's great to be with you folks today. I spend a lot of time on the road. I usually speak in about 38 to 48 churches a year. And so I am gone quite a bit from my home church. But sometimes, a couple weeks ago, I spoke in eight churches in six days. So I can do that as well. I sometimes wake up and I don't know where I am. And that's kind of weird. But uh, strange places with wonderful people of God. So that's a good thing. Hey, there we go. Let's see. Is this thing going to work? It is. There you go. This is just my introductory slide to make sure. There's the Jansen family. I thought I'd introduce my family to you because that's really important. So we have eight adult children. And with their... Spouses and their significant others that make 16. We have eight grandchildren already, and we're going to have one more pretty soon here. So our family continues to grow. We could be like a small church ourselves. It's kind of cool that way. A little bit about myself very quickly. By trade, I'm a journeyman electrician. Today, that's called Red Seal. I did that for many years. And then I became a science teacher. I did that for 25 years. And I am an elder, of course, in my home church in Abbotsford with Pastor Mike and some great people. I have been a speaker now with CMI. This is my eighth year on the road with them. Enough of that. Let's have a look at Creation Ministries International. We are an apologetics ministry, which means we believe and we teach the Word of God is true right from the very first verse. We currently have offices in seven countries around the world. Our ministry now reaches into 100 countries worldwide. And our information is currently being transferred into 40 different languages. We have 40 full-time translators that do nothing but translate God's Word into their own language through the message of CMI. Our website is actually very easy to remember. It is creation.com. And on the website, there are more than 15,000 different articles and video clips. And I really encourage you to check that out, especially if you're a homeschooler, you're in high school, you got to do a report on something, just put it in the search engine, and you will get a lot of results from that. All right, this morning I'd like to share with you a message which I call a question of origins, an analysis of creation and evolution. So what we're doing is we're a comparison of two very different worldviews, creation and evolution. So in creation, we believe there's a master designer that is God. Evolution has no designer. In creation, there's divine purpose. Evolution has no purpose. In creation, we believe there's infinite intelligence. Evolution has no intelligence. In creation, we believe it started with absolute order. Evolution has no order. 
And most importantly, we believe that we have eternal hope. Folks, Colossians 1.27, it's Christ in us, the hope of glory. If you're following the pattern here, what do you think evolution offers us? No hope. You're born, you live, and you die. So with this as our starting point, let's begin the discussion and see how it unfolds for us this morning. All right, imagine you're lying on the floor and you're slightly unconscious and everything's gone dark. And you roll over and you see this. And that's not very good because that's what happened. So what do you do? Well, you call this guy and he spends a few minutes looking at your situation. He says, yeah, sorry, I can't help you. You're thinking, well, why not? He knows he's got this bright red toolbox. You say, hey, my friend, use your toolbox. And he says, well, that's the problem. You see, I have no tools and I don't know what to do. And you're thinking, well, that's great. How can you fix my electrical problems if you have no tools? Let's take this simple toolbox analogy now to another level. Here are some of the questions that people are asking today. Well, if there is a loving God, then why is there evil and suffering in the world? Or how do you explain that there was no death before sin? Or how was the Grand Canyon actually formed? Or... Well, why is it so important that the earth was created only six days and not over millions of years? Well, these are very important questions, aren't they? And they're going to need some solid answers. So what do we do? Well, we'll go to our creation knowledge toolbox for the answer. Well, back in the early 1990s, this was my toolbox. It was really quite empty. I didn't have a lot of good answers. And I had to ask myself something very important. How am I going to answer all these questions? Because folks... Here it is. You can't teach what you don't know. Think about that. So what are we going to do? Well, let's start by first building a solid theological foundation. And that foundation actually begins in the book of Genesis because it sets the scene then for the big picture of the Bible. We all know this, the creation, fall, redemption, and the restoration. But there's actually much more than that. Because many doctrines of Christianity are actually established in the book of Genesis, the doctrine of God, the Son, the Holy Spirit, that man is made in God's image, not that of a monkey, original sin, salvation, and a holy marriage. So the book of Genesis is actually critical because these doctrines are at the very foundation of our Christianity. Let me give you an example. You may be familiar with this building. It's in Shanghai, China, and it's very famous but for all the wrong reasons, because one day, the whole thing just fell over. Well, why is that? Well, it had no foundation. Now, I'm not a structural engineer, but I can tell you having a couple of concrete tubes stuck in dirt is not a strong enough foundation for such a large building, is it? And so it is with our faith. Do we believe in the absolute authority of the Word of God to build that solid foundation and do we fully understand the message of the gospel? Second Timothy says that all scripture is inspired by God and it's profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. And if we believe that God cannot lie, then what happens when we look at Exodus chapter 20 in the Ten Commandments, and we know these, did you know that in the middle of the Ten Commandments, it says this, for in six days, God made the heavens and the earth. I believe that God is actually grieved when people do not believe what is written directly in the Ten Commandments. This isn't poetry. It's not allegory. God written, wrote it in the Ten Commandments so that we would not go down these other rabbit trails that people have today. Maybe this morning you're saying, oh, come on, Clarence. In all honesty, is an uncompromising biblical foundation really so important? I mean, isn't just knowing and loving God enough? Does believing in evolution and millions of years really change the gospel message? Well, here is a very sobering thought. The Barner Research Group many years ago found out that on average, 70% of our young people are leaving the church within four years after graduating from high school. I think we need to ask the question then, well, why are they leaving? Here's some of the possible reasons. The church and Christianity are under severe attack. How about the authority of Scripture and then the teaching of creation is now being rejected. The overall moral and cultural decay of our society 
and of course, the rise of atheism, that there is no God, and then the rejection of God as the creator. Well, what then is the end result of atheism? Here it is. If there is no God, then there's no accountability, and now we get to decide what is right and wrong. What does this look like when we compare creation versus evolution? Creation is based on the word of God. This is God's truth recorded in the scriptures. Evolution, however, is based on the word of man. This is man's truth that he has made up. If we don't understand this first foundational principle, then all the rest of our theological foundations are going to quickly erode away until we have what? No foundation. So this morning, I want to look at a few of the critical foundations of Christianity. We're going to examine what does the word of man say, what does the word of God say, and then we'll come up with some conclusions. Let's start at the very beginning, the origin of the cosmos. Well, according to the secular, atheistic, evolutionary worldview, we started out as nothing. I didn't know how to draw nothing, and so that little dot, that's going to represent nothing. And then apparently, 13.8 billion years ago, there was a cosmic big bang, and all of this nothing eventually turned into everything. Isn't that amazing? And in this atheistic account, the stars evolved billions of years before the earth came into being. All right, what does the Bible say? Well, we know in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And in the biblical account, the earth was created before the stars, and in fact, there's only three days in between. So let's compare these two very different accounts. One says, whoops, what happened there? There we go. Are we okay there? Am I not clicking? Let's try this. I'm sorry, I don't know what the clicker is. Maybe I'm just clicking too fast. Sorry. Let's just compare these two things here. So one of these accounts says billions of years. The other one says three days. And you notice that the order is reversed. Is it possible that Scripture is so far off on the timing and can't even get the order correct? Because that begs a much more important question. If the creation is wrong, well, then what else is Genesis is wrong? Let's have a look at the origin of human beings. Where did you and I come from? Well, on an evolutionary timeline, they believe this is the beginning of time, that's the Big Bang. And here's the present. On this timeline, man appears about there 300,000 years ago. So if billions of years are true, then that means that man appears at the end of the timeline. What does the Bible say? These are the words of Jesus. And Jesus said to them, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. From one man, he made every nation of mankind. So let's look at these two verses and how they would compare on what I'm going to call a biblical creation timeline. So here's the beginning of time and here's the present. So where does man come in on the timeline? Does he come near the end? Of course not. The Bible is very clear that man appears on day six of the creation. And if there are thousands of years, if that is actually true, then man appears near the end of the timeline. And this then agrees with Mark chapter 10, the words of Jesus. Do you see how critically important that is? Let's have a look at the origin of plants and animals. Now, evolutionists say that all these perfectly formed atoms came about from nothing. Folks, I don't know if you understand this, but atoms are actually made up of 17 subatomic particles. They are, in fact, very complicated little tiny things. And according to the theory of evolution, apparently 80 billion random atoms figured out how to organize themselves. And then they also had pre-built-in repair mechanisms and replicating capabilities. Did you know that it takes 80 billion atoms to make one bacteria? 
And then over millions of years and mutations, this bacteria then became other bacteria, and then this eventually became every living creature that we see today on the earth, and this is what's being taught as a fact in our school systems today. I'd like to take a minute and refute this chart. In order for a microbe to become a man, something has to happen. If someone says evolution is monkey to man, you say, no, 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 no. It's bacteria to biologist. That is actually evolution. What does this mean? Well, it takes 100 pages worth of genetic information to make one bacteria. Do you know how much genetic information it takes to make one of these? A thousand encyclopedias worth of genetic information. But here's the problem. You see, evolutionists believe this came about through mutations, but mutations result in a loss of meaningful genetic information and not a gain. And in fact, these gains must also include increases in both the anatomical structure and their biological function at the same time. This whole concept is genetically impossible. What does the Bible say? In Genesis 1, we read that God made the beasts of the earth after their kinds. And the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. So what does God's created creatures look like? Well, this is what we call their kinds. What does this look like? This is what we call the creation orchard. These are God's created kinds. We've got the dog kind, the monkey kind, the bird kind, and so on. And from these very genetically rich creatures we can have all the different types of animals that we see today. And notice that there's no jumping between kinds. Dogs don't become pigs. Why not? Because they don't have the genetic information to become a pig. In fact, the original dog kind is probably something like our modern-day wolf population, very rich in genetic diversity. And from this, we can have everything from the ferocious Chihuahua all the way out to the Great Dane, but they're all still what? Dogs. They only can be dogs because that's the only genetic information that they have. Now, as a contrast, this is what's being taught today as the evolution of the chicken. Folks, I, I didn't make this up. I'm not nearly smart enough to figure this one out. According to these folks, this is where chickens come from. And this is being taught today in the school system. I'd like to ask this question. Is it possible to mutate from a 14-foot-tall, cold-blooded reptile down to a one-foot-small, warm-blooded avian chicken? We also have a massive sizing problem here. Either that is a four-foot T-Rex or that is a seven-foot chicken, and going to save on foods for rotisserie chicken for dinner means you have seven weeks of leftovers. Is this even possible? Number four, the origin of sin and death. If someone says, well, what difference does it make if the world is millions of years old? It doesn't affect the Bible. Let me ask you this question. When did sin enter in the world? When did sin enter in the world? Well, Scripture says very clearly, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all have sinned. Well, why did death enter in the world? Romans 6, for the wages of sin is death. So scripture is clear here that death came into the world only once sin came in the world, and it came in through one man, Adam, because his name is mentioned specifically in Romans 5, verse 14. Now, let's have a look at this biblical life and death. Many people don't understand this. What is life and death? Now, most people, if they would look at grass and potatoes, they would say, well, that's life. But it's what I'm going to call biological life. What does it take to have biblical life? Well, you need two things. The first thing is you need blood. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And the second thing you need is breath. And the Lord God formed man and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. So, Living creatures have blood and breath. What does this look like? Well, then only living creatures, sheep, 
and dinosaurs and human beings, not plants can experience death. Why is that? Because they have blood and the breath of life. And so if you eat grass and potatoes, all you're doing is just eating grass and potatoes. It's not biblical death. Let's take this now to the next level. People all over the world have found animal and human fossil remains, and so we actually see in the fossil record death and suffering. So, given the biblical account of creation in Genesis, where does the fossil record and where do millions and billions of years, where do death and suffering actually fit into the scriptures? Now, some people want to do this. They want to put it either between day one and day two of the creation or verse one and verse two, and these are these long-age theories. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that after the first day, everything was what? Good. How can death and suffering and diseases be good? It's terrible. It's bad. Well, maybe we could put it somewhere between days two to six. No, after each of these days, God said it was good. Well, how about after day six? No, after the creation, God said that everything was what? Very good. So it's only after the fall of man, sin, that death, disease, and suffering fit in. I very graciously would like to ask you, where do millions and billions of years fit into the biblical record? Nowhere. Because then you have death, disease, and suffering before original sin. What would the Garden of Eden actually look like if there was death, disease, and suffering before Adam's sin? Why, the Garden of Eden would be sitting on piles and piles of dead things. And in the fossil record, we see death and suffering, whoops, we see death and suffering and diseases like cancer and osteoporosis. Folks, if that is considered very good, then I don't even know then what would be considered very bad. Here's the point. You simply cannot have evolution then without that death and suffering for millions of years, period. So this morning, I'd like you to consider the following. If you want to believe in evolution and or millions of years, you're going to have to accept that it was death and suffering that eventually led to man. But if you believe in creation and original sin, then it was man's sin that led to death. And do you see how those two things are critically reversed? In fact, if there was no historical Adam or original sin, then why did Christ have to die for our sins? Because that cuts to the very core of our Christian faith. This is a summation of what I'd like you to see this morning. This is my takeaway. If you learn nothing else, I want you to see on how the three corners of the triangle are completely dependent on each other. Folks, if you replace a literal, biblical, six-day creation with any form of evolution and or millions of years, this is exactly what happens. It means there was no historical Adam because people who believe in evolution in millions of years don't believe there was an original Adam which means that sin did not enter in through one man, which makes the Apostle Paul a liar, which means there was no original sin. If this is the situation, then Jesus Christ cannot be our kinsman redeemer. I'm sorry, this thing is not connecting with you, my friend, because my screen is way ahead. Cross it out, come on. It's not going to cross out Kinsman Redeemer. That's fine. It just did. There you go. Watch what happens here. If there was no historical Adam or original sin, Jesus Christ cannot be the Kinsman Redeemer. What does that mean? Jesus Christ has to be connected through the bloodline to the person who committed the original sin. How do we know that? Genesis chapter 5, Matthew chapter 1, Luke chapter 3, Those are the genealogies of Jesus, and they connect him directly to the man who committed the original sin. If Jesus Christ is not connected, then that means he cannot be our kinsman redeemer, which means there is no atonement for our sin, which means there is no gospel message. 
Folks, that is very bad news, isn't it? I want to share with you some very good news. Here it is. Not only was there, but there has to be a literal biblical six-day creation, which means there was a historical Adam, which means that sin did enter in through one man, which means there was original sin. Now, if this is the situation, Jesus Christ can now be our what? Kinsman redeemer, which means there is atonement for our sin, which means there is a gospel message. Folks, do we live in a world today that so desperately needs to hear the message of the gospel? If we don't have the message of the gospel, then all the rest of our foundations of Christianity are going to crumble away until we have no gospel message. Folks, that means that we're most to be what? Pitied. Why? Because we have no hope. That's very, very bad news. Folks, we need to have a six-day creation. Otherwise, the message of the gospel doesn't exist. Let's change gears for a few minutes. I'd like to teach you two new terms that you may have not heard before, and then we'll come up with a couple of conclusions. The first word I'd like to teach you is a big word. It's called uniformitarianism. What does it mean? It means simply that the present is the key to the past. So in other words, the things that we see happening today always occurred in the same way in the past. Here's a little example. There it is, folks. Booming downtown Yarrow. Look at that place. What a, pl oh man, there's so much. There you go. Up until about three months ago, that's where we lived, right there on Yarrow Central. We actually don't even have any traffic lights. Not much is going on there, right? But if you come to Yarrow in the summertime, it's really busy. That's an exaggeration. What's going on? Well, you got to go through Yarrow to get to what? Cultus Lake water slides and the lake and the golf course and the campgrounds. So by looking at the rate of traffic in downtown Yarrow, you can't tell whether we are sleepy and boring people or is it crazy busy. Well, why is that? Because it's constantly changing throughout the year. And so it is with things like geological formations. Let's swing down to the Grand Canyon in Arizona. What's going on here? Well, we have this massive canyon and we have the Colorado River flowing at the bottom of the canyon. So, according to uniformitarianism, at today's rate of erosion, it's going to take the Colorado River millions of years to carve out the canyon. You see, the assumption is the rate today was always the same it was in the past. But something happened in 1980 down in Washington State, and there's enough of us old people that remember something blew up. What, what happened? Mount St. Helens, man, that thing blew up. And it spewed millions of tons of hot rock and ash and lava and buried 65 square kilometers beside the mountain. And then over the next months, there was these other eruptions of gases in pyroclastic flow, and they completed the buildup of all of this rock layer. Then on March the 19th, 1982, two years later, there was a huge mud flow that came from the lake that was made from the original eruption, and it breached. And all of this mud and water and rock and debris came crushing down and it wiped out a whole section right beside Mount St. Helen and it formed the little Grand Canyon of Washington today. It's 140th the scale size of the Grand Canyon. And there at the bottom is the Toodle River. Now, let's have a look at these middle layers here from the other sedimentation buildup. If someone wasn't there to actually record this, you'd say, well, that's going to take millions of years for all that sedimentation to build. But that's not what happened. The middle section of thousands of layers was deposited in only three hours, not millions of years, and that whole canyon was carved out in only one day. It's the same thing with the rate of erosion. It was not the mighty Toodle River that formed the canyon. It was the canyon that formed the river. Do you see any similarities? Is it possible that the Grand Canyon was not formed by uniformitarian mechanisms of slow deposition and very slow erosion? Is it possible that in a global worldwide flood, millions of creatures are trapped in that sediment? 
they are then fossilized, and then sometime later, there is a global flood runoff, and huge sections of the Grand Canyon, as well as many other features globally, are all formed by this global flood runoff, and the only evidence that we simply see today is the Colorado River flowing at the bottom of the canyon. All right, let's introduce then science and religion. So science is based on experiments, observation, and it has to be repeatable in a lab. And this is known as operational science. What's religion? It's an organized system of belief based on your faith. So this morning, let's put evolution to the test. Is evolution actually operational science? Because many people want to use the word evolution and science interchanged. Let's see what happens. Operational science is practiced in the present. Evolution apparently happened millions of years ago in the past. Operational science has to be repeatable. I mean, no offense to anybody this morning, but have you seen ape-like creatures slowly turning into human-like creatures and can that process be repeated over and over again in a scientific lab? And the answer is no. Evolution is not repeatable. And operational science has to be observable and someone has to record it. Well, if evolution occurred millions of years ago, then it was not observable. So the only plausible conclusion is this. Evolution is actually not operational science. Why? because it's not observable and cannot be tested and repeated in a lab. This is the conclusion of Dr. Michael Roos. He's actually very much an anti-creationist, but he made this astounding statement years ago. He said, folks, evolution is a religion. Why is that? Because both creation and evolution are based on your faith. They're based on the interpretation of the evidence based on a different set of presuppositions. That's known as your worldview. In a nutshell, what's really happened is this. The word of God used to be authoritative, but through the rise of the teaching of evolution in our school systems today and the subsequent rise of atheism, this is the world that we live in. These two things have actually reversed. I graciously would like to ask you, are you still trusting in the word of God or have you slipped and you're starting to trust in the word of man? Let me share this exhortation with you. Guard what's been entrusted to you. Avoid that worldly and empty chatter and the opposing arguments, what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and thus gone astray from the faith. Here's a very sad example of that. This is Charles Templeton. He used to preach the gospel with Billy Graham at crusades all over the world. But Charles Templeton attended Princeton Theological Seminary where they had added the millions and billions of years and evolution to their Old Testament courses as being a fact. And it wasn't long after that that Charles Templeton not only said goodbye to Billy Graham, he also walked away from his faith. And before he passed away, he wrote this book, Farewell to God, My Reasons for Rejecting the Christian faith. He said, I believe there's no supreme being with human attributes, no God in the biblical sense, but all of life is the result of timeless evolutionary forces over millions of years. I believe that in common with all living creatures, we die and cease to exist as an entity. Folks, do you see that building a solid biblical foundation is critical? Is your prayer this morning to protect our young people that are in school systems that want to teach evolution? And are we praying for those generations not yet born? Let's spend the remainder of our time here, a few minutes, looking at some evidences for creation. I want to stick some allegorical tools in your toolbox, just a couple this morning. Let's have a look at the creation hyperbola. This is the mathematical relationship between intelligence versus time. Now, because we believe that God has infinite intelligence, because that's one of his characteristics, it actually would take him no time then to do all of the creation. He chose six days to do the creation and rested on the seventh, and that is a model for our work week. Evolution, however, has no intelligence because there's no God behind it. Under this understanding of this mathematical 
graphing and representation, how long would it take for evolution to come about? Infinity. It would never, ever happen because there is no intelligence behind the entire theory of evolution. Folks, this is a mathematical relationship that completely destroys the entire theory of evolution just because there has no intelligence behind evolution. How about polystrate fossils? Two examples, the one on the right-hand side is from the Cumberland Basin in Nova Scotia. What's going on here? We have a fossilized tree trunk standing in thousands of layers of sedimentary rock. Is it possible for a tree to stand there for a million years while the sedimentation builds up on it? Of course not. It's going to die. This is excellent evidence for a global flood. Rapid burial, fast fossilization. And they have found hundreds of these polystrate fossils all over the world, standing straight up in sedimentary rock. It was a global flood, not something that was just local. How about Dr. Mary Schweitzer's discovery? Back in 2005, so almost 20 years ago now, she released to the world that she had cut into the femur, which is the thigh bone, of a T-Rex that she dug up in Montana. Now, why did she cut into the bone? Well, the story goes is that this bone was too big to fit in the van, so she cut it in half. And when she cut it in half, she goes, wow, this thing stinks. Something weird's going on here. Dr. Schweitzer took the bone to the lab. She scooped out some of the bits. She put them on a microscope slide, treated it, and she stuck it underneath the microscope. And Dr. Schweitzer found branched blood vessels with red blood cells still intact. And she said, that's impossible. These things died out 65 million years ago. She did this experiment 17 times in a row before she finally conceded those are red blood cells from Tyrannosaurus rex. In an interview, she said, when you think about it, the laws of chemistry and biology and everything else we know say it should be gone. It should be degraded completely. Well, no kidding. Dwatcher Schweitzer also found actual stretchy ligaments in T-Rex. And this elasticity can still be seen today underneath the microscope. This evidence is very contradictory that dinosaurs died out 65 million years ago. And since this initial discovery, more than 40 other samples around the world of blood vessels and tissues and ligaments have been found in these fossilized bones all over the world. My question is, why isn't this scientific evidence being taught today within our school system? Is this the death blow to evolution in millions of years? This stuff came out more than 20 years ago, or just about 20 years ago, and most people have never heard of this before. Well, the reason being is that they want to ignore this because it doesn't fit into their presuppositionary worldview that it has to be millions and billions of years old. So maybe we should look at the fossilization process then. This is what's being taught today. A fish dies and goes clunk to the bottom, and then slowly over millions of years in sedimentation, this thing finally fossilizes. Is this really what happens? Of course not. When a fish dies, it floats belly up. Then all the birds come along and peck their eyeballs out. And then they chew on them and everything falls apart. So we have a massive problem. How did any fish ever become fossilized and all of these little buddies here perfectly intact? Here's a much more credible explanation. A fish is swimming along in the ocean. And then during the global flood... The deep ocean trenches are lifted up. Genesis 7:11 causes a tremendous amount of turbidity and sedimentation, and then boop, this guy is trapped. And then very quickly, he fossilizes because no one's there to peck on him and to chew him into little pieces. Now, maybe this morning you're asking, you know, Clarence, I'm a little bit skeptical. Is there any evidence of this rapid burial and fast fossilization of these kinds of things? I'm setting you up. How about a fossilized pickle? How about a fossilized foot still inside the boot? That doesn't take millions of years. I don't think Texas has been around that long. You see, fossilization is actually a very rapid process. How about this? Here's a fish eating another fish. That has to be a rapid burial and fast fossilization. Isn't that amazing? 
Let's have a look at one more evidence. It's called irreducible complexity. It's my favorite. Let's have a look at a mousetrap. Takes five things. Platform, spring, hold down bar, hammer that does the, you know what I'm talking about, and the catch. Who goes on the catch? Peanut butter and cheese. Okay. How many parts to make a mousetrap? Five. Take any one of those away, and what happens to your mousetrap? It's not going to work. Let's take this analogy now to biology. This is the simplest living organism on Earth. This is the mycoplasma bacteria. It has 475 genes. What do genes do? Right. Genes provide the coding to make the parts for the bacteria. Now, scientists have determined that, eight, or sorry, that 382 of these genes are critical. If one of them is missing, then the bacteria doesn't exist. So what was it for the mousetrap? One out of five. This is one out of 382. I'm going to show you now the most mind-boggling diagram you've ever seen in your life. I can say that because I taught biochemistry for 25 years. There it is. Look at that. Isn't that amazing? Come on. Come on. You're killing me here. There it is. I didn't do that in suspense. That's just technology. Look at this. Look at, these, look at this stuff here. Look at all these molecules. Look at these complex structures. This is what's required for that microscopic bacteria to turn its food into energy. Folks, are you a little bit more complicated than a bacteria? And what's being taught today is that this comes about by random evolutionary chance? Folks, that's not possible. All of this points to who? An all-powerful, all-knowing creator God that needs to know that all these parts have to be there and working together at the same time. Did you notice this morning that I've only shared with you scientific evidence? Did you see that? As a scientist, that's all I've shared with you. This is scientific evidence that clearly refutes evolution and or millions of years. And today's secular evolutionary teaching has become so ingrained in our young people's minds through their textbooks and in the media and in advertising that the seeds of doubt about a literal, biblical, six-day creation are already deeply planted in their heads. And so when they graduate from school, they walk away from the church. Well, what's my story? More than 25 years ago, my wife went to the second-hand store in Abbotsford and she bought this magazine from the MCC for 25 cents. And she brought this thing home, and I read this thing from cover to cover, and I was hooked. So she went back to MCC and bought all the old copies. Now, I read all those copies, and then I had to remember, you know what? I have a young family. My kids are growing up. And I, had to, I, I don't know how to answer all these things. Remember at the beginning when I said, how am I going to answer all those questions? Everybody's got these questions. These are the actual magazine covers because I subscribed to the Creation Magazine for more than 25 years. Do you see what was happening in my life? I was adding tools to my allegorical toolbox. I was equipping myself so that I could help my own children and my students and my colleagues and answer some of these very difficult questions. And so... When it comes to a question of origins, are we putting our trust in the Bible that shares with us the story of creation, or are we believing in the theory of evolution? In creation, we put our trust in the Word of God. Evolution has put its trust in the Word of man. In creation, we believe there was absolute order. Evolution believes in random evolutionary chance. In creation, we believe critically that death came after sin. Evolution has to have death before sin. We believe in the creation orchard, God's created creatures. Evolution, that there's a change in organisms over time. That if you wait around long enough, the T-Rex becomes a chicken for you. And most important, we have eternal hope. What was Colossians 1.27? It's Christ in us, the... Hope of glory. What does evolution offer? No hope. You're born, you live, and then you die. So this morning, I apologize. 
but I want to ask you a really hard question. What's in your allegorical toolbox this morning? Are you equipped? Do you got answers? Can you answer these questions? If you can't answer these questions to our young people today, they would go to other places, other universities, other schools, and those places would be delighted to give them an answer. But I'm probably pretty sure it's not going to be biblical. And it's not going to point to the all-powerful, all-knowing creator God. So what are we going to do? Well, we need to get equipped somehow. Let's start here. The creation.com website. 25,000 different articles and video clips on every subject you could ever imagine. Or how about this one? The creation infobytes. It's my favorite four-letter word. It's free, and it's free for all of you. What does it mean to get connected with the Infobytes? Well, basically what happens about every week and a half or so, through whatever social media platform that you choose, or you can do it through your email, you get a little ding, and it says, hey, look at this article. And you can read it within seven minutes. Everything in CMI can be read within seven minutes. That's because we know that people's attention span is about that long. And you can get this stuff, and it's free. How do you do that? Well, you can sign up on these little connect cards. I'm going to ask the ushers. You can just pass those out. You can either fill it out now, or you can fill it out later. All you have to do is just tear off one of those little blue little tags there. Watch this. This is the animation. There you go. You're going to fill out your name and stuff, and you're going to sign up for the stuff, and you're going to bring that little blue slip back to Elaine at the back there, my wife, and she'll get you signed up. So there you are, Henry Jones, and you can sign up if you'd like those things and so forth. Now, if you were paying really close attention, what do you think was the number one equipping tool in my life? What was it? It was the Creation Magazine. This thing is published four times per year. 56 pages, no advertising because we make it ourselves. Excellent. Everything from children's features up to adult and everything in between. Very, very colorful, excellent information. If you'd like to get a subscription to the Creation Magazine, that thing is deducted every three months. And with a subscription, you get a hard copy, which is the magazine, up to five digital copies on the same subscription, and CMI would love to give you a free issue and a DVD. I want to tug on your heartstrings a little bit here this morning. When people come from charitable organizations, they often compare it to a cup of coffee. So one coffee a day, you can support a child. I think that's fantastic. The Creation Magazine costs one coffee a month. That's a Tim Hortons medium double-double. Is there anybody in your family that is worth one coffee a month? Well, Clarence, my grandchildren live in Saskatoon. That's okay. You can gift it to them. This is from Grandpa and Grandma, and for one coffee a month, I'm going to get you this magazine. I'm going to get it into your home so you can read this stuff because we think this is critically important. Let me share with you this little story from the feedback page. I've been subscribing to Creation Magazine for some years. It's been a constant source of blessing. You'd be pleased to know that one of my grandsons gave his heart to the Lord and was born again after reading about the Grand Canyon. See, the Grand Canyon was the sticking point for this guy read the article, understood on how it works, gave his heart to the Lord. What an incredible thing. If you'd like to get a subscription to the magazine, all you have to do is you tear off, the gentlemen are going to pass out these little yellow slips. You get those again. These little slips of paper, they're the yellow ones this time. You can fill out the information on the front and the back. You can bring it back to Elaine and she'll get you set up with a free magazine and you'll get your subscription ready to go. I really encourage you to do that. One coffee a month. That's it. Okay, when I was a teacher for 25 years, often my students say, Mr. Jansen, do we have to study for the test? Yes, of course you do, child. Why? Well, because we all suffer from this thing. It's called the forgetting curve. Did you know that within two weeks, you'll have forgotten 80% of everything that I've shared this morning? Wow. That's because we become forgetful. If we have something to review, however, there's a greater possibility that we'll remember things. I'd like to suggest just a couple of the different resources that we brought. The first thing and most important is that Clarence makes no money off of 
any of this stuff. Everything goes to the ministry. I simply get paid a stipend and my expenses, and that's it. I sleep in strange places and eat strange food with strange people, and I wake up and sometimes I don't even know what country I'm in, and that's okay because I think this is important. And I do this in 35 to 45 churches every year. And this is my eighth year doing it. I think this is important. So let me just share with you quickly. This is the Creation Answers book. Give an answer to the 60 most commonly asked questions. It's written at a grade 8 level. And if you are a homeschooler or you're a teacher, there, you now have 60 devotionals to do with your children. How about the Faith Pack, Christianity for Skeptics, and the Answer Book combined together? How about evolution's Achilles' heels? It demolishes all of these arguments that evolutionists use, and we have it both back there in book form and in DVD. I've endorsed the DVD before on creation.com, and the reason being is I think this is the best DVD that we have ever produced as an organization. Or how about going really big here? The most comprehensive commentary written on Genesis, I believe that this is for every elder and pastor or study group leader, this is the go-to commentary. I believe it is the most comprehensive one ever written by my good friend, Dr. Jonathan Sarfati. There's other books there for youth. I got lots of stuff on dinosaurs because kids love dinosaurs, all kinds of things on that. There's a children's pack back there. I know this is crazy, but Christmas is coming. You can buy that or whatever you want to do. How about the Genesis Academy? This is 12 DVDs. It's a free download of the study guide, which means you don't need to do any preparation. This is for your homeschool or youth or Sunday school. There, you got the next four months taken care of. You just slip the DVD in, you watch it, you answer the questions, you become equipped. This fairly new book on the wonders of science examines each of the field of science to show support for creation, written by creationists, scientists. Here's an excellent resource for high school. If you're a homeschool, you can get credit for your homeschool science courses. How about this brand new release, God and the Transgender Debate? Critical for today. I was speaking a couple of weeks ago at a Bible college, and these kids, they just bought every single copy that I took with me. They wanted to know about this. Clarence, I don't have any money. Well, how about this one, The Survival Guide, How to Graduate with Your Faith Intact. It's a 50-page booklet for only $5. You got a son or daughter in grade 11 or 12? Give it to them. Work through the book with them. It's $5. You want them to graduate with their faith intact. This one of Dire Dragons, it's a coffee table book. It shows stunning art, artifacts and examples that show clear evidence that people groups from around the world saw dinosaurs. There's about 70 examples, irrefutable, that man and dinosaurs coexisted. You see this and you go, this is amazing. Why isn't this being taught today? Or go really big, the giant CMI library package, just about got every single thing that I've mentioned in there so far. There's 375, I counted it the other day, $375 worth of resources for 199 I'll leave that to you folks. Let me leave you with this exhortation. For the time will come when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itchy ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to truth and wander off into myths. Folks, is this the society that we live in today? I think it is. Let's end with this. Your faith should not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Amen? Amen? Amen. Thank you so much. It's been my privilege. I'm sorry that the technology on my end didn't work so good. I hope you got the majority of what I shared today. BK, thank you so much.